right, as you guys are turning to Matthew chapter 4, just want to remind everybody that we are in the middle of our series called All In. And in this series, we are considering what does it look like for us as individuals to go all in when it comes to the local church here at Orchard Hill. And so at this time, I want to remind everybody that we have these membership covenants. They're located at the end of your pew. Hopefully you have yours from last week. But if you missed last week, make sure you have one of these in your hand because you're going to reflect with it today. And we are really going to encourage you to bring these back next week as we offer these as a commitment to Jesus. Um, so if you're located on the end of a pew and anybody in your pew needs one, just go ahead and pass one down. So today, our focus is going to be what does it look like to be all in in terms of discipleship? In order to provide the biblical foundation of this message, we are going to read from Matthew 4, verses 18 through 22. It says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this story takes place at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, and he is calling his first disciples. When I was younger, I would read stories like this of really all the 12 disciples, and I was just amazed at the faith of Peter and Andrew. With a three-word invitation, come, follow me, Peter and Andrew dropped everything. Their boats, their nets, their family, their friends, their future, their comfort. They dropped everything in order to pursue Jesus down this path of discipleship. And again, when I was growing up, I'm like, these guys are nuts. They're going above and beyond what the normal Christian should do. However, as I continued to grow older and mature in my faith, and the more I read the New Testament, the more I realized Peter and Andrew weren't going above and beyond. Peter and Andrew weren't some super Christian, right? They were simply doing what all followers of Jesus are called to do, to leave everything and go all in following Jesus down this path of discipleship. And so today, I'm going to uh, hopefully tell the story that we just read. And you're going to realize that Jesus is offering you those same, uh, that same three-word invitation. Come, follow me. Come all in down this path of discipleship. So as we begin, I feel like it's probably most important that we're all on the same page. I know we throw this word disciple and this word the discipleship around a lot in the church, but I know not everybody really has a biblical understanding of what that is. So let's ask the question, what does it mean to be a disciple? And a biblical definition of a disciple is someone who surrenders their life to learn, to follow, to obey, and to become more like Jesus with the hope of spreading Jesus' teachings. 
And so before we go any further, I want to highlight six key things that we all need to know about this definition. First, discipleship requires surrender. Discipleship requires surrender. In the first century, uh, like our story, everybody knew that discipleship required surrendering everything. And what did we see Peter and Andrew do? They left their nets. They left their boats. They left their old life behind. We know Peter even had a wife. They surrendered everything in order to passionately go all in down this path of discipleship. In Orchard Hill, when we go all in on this path of discipleship, total surrender is expected as well. We lay down everything. We lay down our old lives and pursue Jesus wholeheartedly. Secondly, discipleship requires learning. Why in the world would Peter and Andrew get rid of everything, leave everything behind, and follow Jesus? Part of it was to learn. Discipleship is this learning relationship. Another word for disciple is student. Another word for rabbi is teacher. And so Peter and Andrew, along with the other disciples, would follow Jesus to learn. And Jesus would teach them, who is God? Who are you? What is your purpose in the world? Why do we exist? How do you interpret this scripture? How do you interpret the law? What is the fulfillment of the law? And so in this discipleship relationship, Jesus would teach his followers everything they need to know to faithfully follow him. Faithfully live a life that glorifies God and makes him known to the very ends of the earth. So, again, when it comes to us, when we're talking about discipleship. Part of it is learning. Part of it is knowing who our God is. Part of it is Christian education. Not only does discipleship require surrender, not only does it require learning, but it requires following. If you look at the Greek word for follow me in the text that we just read, I love it because literally it says, come, get behind me. That's what Jesus is saying to Peter and Andrew. Come, get behind me in the sense of look at me, follow me, watch what I do, replicate it, do what I do, be a copycat of me, Jesus is saying. Maybe a more modern way of thinking about this uh, might be with like an electrician apprenticeship. You know, if there's a young person here who says, I want to grow up to be an electrician, be like, Dave and Kempen, right? They would go and they would enter into an apprentice program. And it's probably four years of uh, learning under a master electrician. And this electrician, the master electrician, would have that apprentice just follow him. Say, hey, this is how you wire a house. This is how you wire a three-way switch. This is how you know what gauge wire to use when you're wiring up a 20 amp circuit. The master electrician would say, come follow me. And that disciple, that apprentice would just soak up everything that they can from the master electrician. And friends, the same thing is true when it comes to discipleship. We are soaking up everything we can from our rabbi, our master rabbi, the ultimate rabbi, Jesus, as he holds the words to life. Fourthly, discipleship requires obedience. Every single disciple who followed Jesus did so 
knowing that they were fully expected to obey Jesus. Think about it like a teacher in a classroom, right? Teachers in a classroom have all the authority, or at least they should have all of the authority, <laughs> right? They got to uh, lead that class. They decide what is right and what is wrong. In the same way with Jesus, he defines truth, he defines morality. And friends, when you and I say, Jesus, I'm going all in down this path of discipleship, it requires that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is not just our Savior, but Jesus is Lord. We are obeying him. Fifthly, discipleship leads to transformation. Here in our modernized society, we often think faith is all up in our head. But the ultimate goal of discipleship is spiritual transformation. It's not just about biblical information, it is about spiritual transformation. The goal of this is to become just like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus. What does Jesus say in Matthew 10, 25? Guys, it is enough for a disciple to be like their rabbi. That's what it's all about. The Christian walk is not simply about what information can I know about God, but it's conforming our lives to the image of Jesus Christ. And lastly, discipleship leads to disciple-making. Discipleship always leads to disciple-making. When Peter and Andrew left their nets behind, they knew that they were about to get on this journey of following Jesus down this path of discipleship so they could be conformed to the image of Jesus, ultimately so they could go make other disciples of Jesus. What did Jesus say in Matthew 28? Go, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Discipleship is all about multiplying, right? Be a disciple who makes disciples. So, when I or anybody else here at Orchard Hill refers to this term discipleship or disciple, this is what we're referring to. This is the first century understanding of what being a disciple is all about. And so, partway through this message, I want to ask you, is your faith characterized by a mere conversion to Christianity? Or is your life characterized by going all in on this path of discipleship? Is your faith characterized by simply praying a prayer so that you can avoid the penalty of your sin? Or are you faithfully pursuing Jesus all in on this path of discipleship? Because again, folks, Jesus has the expectation, and we as the leadership at Orchard Hill have the expectation that if Jesus is your Savior, that you would go all in down this path of discipleship. You know, if I'm being honest, I think there's a major, major problem with discipleship in the West, in the global West, Europe, North America. Right? There's a major discipleship problem. You know, a lot of people say discipleship seems to be this optional thing for super-Christians. But again, if you read the New Testament, it is very, very clear. Discipleship is not an option, but it is an expectation. 
following Jesus in the path of discipleship, going all in, is this expectation that Jesus has. But again, what did Pastor Bob say a few weeks ago? Only 10% of Christians today have a biblical worldview, right? We have a discipleship problem. We're not raising up people who know the truth about our God and who we are and what we are called to do. Let's think about Christian formation. If you look at many Christians in the evangelical circles, it doesn't take long to realize that not all Christians' lives look like Jesus, right? They don't look like Jesus. They don't live like Jesus. They don't love like Jesus. We have a discipleship problem. When it comes to disciple-making, so many churches aren't doing disciple-making well. So many homes are not doing disciple-making well, right? You look around, nowhere is disciple-making happening. Again, I think this just reiterates the fact that we have a discipleship problem in the evangelical church. Churches in the West, not just true about Orchard Hill. But what I love about Pastor Bob's leadership is he says this cannot be true of us here at Orchard Hill. Orchard Hill, we need to be a church where every single person in the pews is surrendering their life daily to follow, to learn, to obey, and to become more like Jesus so that we can spread Jesus' teachings to others. This has to be true about all of us because if we fail at this task, Orchard Hill, we fail at everything. The mission of this church is to make fully committed followers of Jesus in our neighborhood and around the world. That is who we are. And so again, we have this expectation that if you are a follower of Jesus, you will join us on this all-out pursuit, this all-in pursuit of following Jesus down this path of discipleship. So, now that we're all on the same page, the big question, I think, becomes how? How do we, as followers of Jesus, go down this path of discipleship? Because Peter and Andrew at least had a physical Jesus who was alive on this earth that they could follow and learn from and they could be obedient to. But how do we do that if Jesus has ascended into heaven? What does that look for us like today? And if you're taking notes, I have two necessary things for people to grow, go all in on their discipleship. And the first thing is this, spiritual dependence. Hear me loud and clear. If you want to grow in your discipleship, if you want to be conformed to the imitation of Jesus Christ, if you want to go all in, you must be 100% dependent upon the Holy Spirit to do so. Another word for discipleship is spiritual formation. It's spiritual because it is brought about by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so again, if you want to grow in your discipleship, you cannot do so apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot experience it. Look at Philippians 2.13. What did Jesus say in John 15.15? 15, 15, Apart from me, you can do nothing. So we have to 
realize that all discipleship, all spiritual growth can only happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. And at this point, some of you might be thinking, sweet, that means I don't really have to do anything, right? If we're 100% dependent upon the Holy Spirit to bring this transformation, then we sit back and drink our coffee and enjoy our mornings and just go on with life, right? God will transform us when he wants to transform us. Not quite. Not quite. Because not only do we need to be people of spiritual dependence, 100% spiritual dependent upon the Spirit, but you and I have to be people who are all about spiritual discipline. When I use those words, spiritual discipline, I'm referring to things like going to worship, reading your Bible, prayer, giving your tithes and your offerings. I'm talking about being involved in service. I'm talking about disciple-making. I'm talking about observing a Sabbath, right? And all these things, like, everybody was with me until this point in the message. Now you're starting to, ugh, ugh, this sounds very religi and uh, religi, religion-y. Religi could be a new word. It sounds very religi and uh, icky, and it sounds like we're getting back into workspace righteousness. And I'm not saying that at all. So, listen here. The spiritual disciplines, all those things that I just said, those are the means by which we yield ourselves to God. The spiritual disciplines are are the way that we offer ourselves to God. The spiritual disciplines are a way that we seek communion with Christ. And so when we engage in spiritual disciplines, we are offering God a way to transform us. Let me give an example. Let's say you uh, do the spiritual discipline of reading your Bible and prayer in the morning. You, you read God's word and meditate on it and pray over it uh, for 15 minutes in the morning, right? That reading requires discipline. It requires you to act, you to actually do something. For me, it requires that I wake up on time. It requires that my coffee is already made. It requires that I go out and sit on our porch and do it, right? But it is when we offer ourselves to God in that way, that we're yielding ourselves to God, that the Spirit of God comes and transforms us. It is through the spiritual disciplines that the Spirit has an opportunity to work. Let's take another example. Going to uh, worship on a Sunday morning like you all did today. You go. It requires you set your alarm. It requires that you drive here. It requires that you make it your number one priority on a Sunday morning, right? It requires discipline. It is a spiritual discipline. But when you offer yourself to God in this way and come here for an hour and 15 minutes to worship God, you are not only worshiping God, but you are offering yourselves a chance to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to get a chance to understand who is our God? Who am I called to be? You might be convicted of sin in your life. You're going to be encouraged by your brothers and sisters. And so don't, don't hear me saying that spiritual discipline is the only way that you grow, right? But when you do the spiritual disciplines, you're offering yourself to God. You're yielding yourself to God so that he can transform you. Dallas Willard says this. He says, The spiritual disciplines are like a river 
of God's transforming grace. As we place ourselves in the river of spiritual disciplines to seek communion with Christ, his grace flows to us and we are changed. You know, I love that, that imagery that he provides through that illustration. It's when we get into the river of spiritual disciplines, through reading the Bible, through worship, that God's grace flows over us and changes us. Now, I'm sure some people here might be bristling at the point that I just made. Some of you here are saying, Greg, you should have stopped after point one. (laughs) Greg, we are saved by God's grace alone, and we are transformed by God's grace alone. And I couldn't agree with you more. But just because we are saved by God's grace and we're transformed by God's grace through the power of the Spirit doesn't mean that spiritual disciplines are a bad thing. Dallas Willard, the guy that I just quoted, he has this quote, and I loved it too, because he says, all too often in the churches today, people are paralyzed by grace. They experience God's grace, the forgiveness of sin, and they they just stop. Thank you, God. I'm just going to go back and live my life as normal. One of my favorite quotes in the history of the world that I remind myself all the time is this. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. And so if you are sitting in your pews saying today, God, I'm going to prove my love and my loyalty to you by reading my Bible every morning and going to church every Sunday and giving my tithes and offerings. If you're doing that to be legalistic and self-righteous, if you're doing that to earn God's love, folks, we have a major problem and you need to kill that attitude today, right? I'm not saying that you should earn God's love or can earn God's love in any way. But God's grace is not opposed to effort. It is simply opposed to earning. Effort is not your enemy. Effort is this essential thing that we need to follow Jesus. I want you guys to go back to our Bible reading for today and think about Peter and Andrew. Um, All of a sudden, they're they're fishing, they're cleaning their nets, whatever they're doing, uh, flaying their fish. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes up to them and says, Andrew, Peter, come follow me. I'm inviting you to come follow me on this path of discipleship, right? And we obviously expect them to go follow Jesus. But what if they said, you know what, Jesus? That was a really good idea, but since I'm transformed just by the power of God's Spirit, I think I'm just going to keep living life normal. I'm just going to keep fishing. I'm just going to keep wasting my time cleaning these nets because God will just change me when he wants to change me, right? That's ludicrous. It's insanity, right? If we don't offer ourselves in faith through God's grace, we will not be transformed. We will not be transformed. And so today, again, Orchard Hill, I have another question for you. Are you exhibiting in all-in effort when it comes to your discipleship? Are you putting in 100% effort when it comes to following Jesus faithfully? 
So, how do we grow in our discipleship? Through 100% dependence upon the Spirit and through being people of spiritual discipline. I want you guys to think about it like riding a bus. Right? In order to successfully ride a bike, you have to have both wheels. Right? If you don't have a front tire, you're just going to like bulldoze the whole way. If you don't have a back tire, you're going to just drag your tail and not be able to ride it at all. Right? It would be super terrible. Um, a unicycle is probably the one exception, but don't think about a unicycle in this <laughs> illustration. Um, in order to successfully ride a two-wheeled bike, you need both tires. The same is true when it comes to discipleship. You need to have 100% dependence upon the Spirit. You need the wheel of spiritual dependence, and you need this wheel of spiritual discipline. Because without either, you're not going to go anywhere. If you only depend on the Spirit of God to transform you, nothing's really going to happen. If you only depend on yourself and your discipline and your own hard work to become a disciple of Jesus, you're not going to go anywhere either. You're going to become a self-righteous, legalistic, burnt-out Christian. We must have both the wheel of dependence and the wheel of discipline. And so, another question for you. Do you have an equal proportion of dependency and discipline? I'm not talking about 50-50 or 60-40, like 100% dependence on the Spirit. And do you have 100% effort going in your spiritual discipline? Because again, this is how we grow in our discipleship. What do I want you to walk away with today? First, I hope that each one of you walk away knowing that if you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus expects that you would go all in down this path of discipleship. Discipleship is not for super Christians. Discipleship is for any Christian. And secondly, I walk away with this point today. How do we go all in? It's through spiritual dependence and spiritual discipline. I want everybody at this time to grab their covenant membership uh, sheet here. And as you look at this, at the bottom of the first page and on the top of the second page, it talks about steps of discipleship. Now, a super great way for you to live this out practically is to prayerfully consider, how is God calling me to go down this path of discipleship? What does that look like for me? And again, at the end of the service, uh, Dave and the worship team are going to come play and give you an opportunity to think about this. Where is God calling me to take a next step of discipleship? Maybe it's not everything on the sheet. Maybe it is. Maybe it's one thing. Maybe it's two. But prayerfully consider, what does this look like for you? And again, as to remind you, next week, please bring these back after you've prayerfully considered the way that God is calling you to take a step. And we're going to be able to offer these to our Savior uh, as an act of worship next week. So make sure you bring these back. But maybe, maybe you're here today, and you're saying, man, God, 
you're really convicting me to, to come to worship every Sunday morning. So as you do that very disciplined thing of getting here on the Sunday morning, something supernatural is going to happen to you. Experience the love of God. You're going to experience the presence of God. You're going to experience God's working through his word. You will be transformed into the image of Jesus. Others of you, maybe you're here today saying, God, you're really convincing me to, to begin to at least open your, your word during the week so I know who you are. And as you do that, what does 2 Timothy 3 say? That all scripture will teach you. It'll correct you. It'll rebuke you. It'll train you up in righteousness. As you do the very disciplined thing of spending with God in the morning, you're yielding yourself to God. Something supernatural will happen, and you will be transformed into the image of Jesus. Maybe you're here today saying, God has really convicted me to begin to offer my tithes, my, my, my offerings to the work of God. Friends, as you do that very disciplined thing, building yourself to God, saying, God, transform me, transform my desires, and pretty soon something supernatural is going to happen within you. And you're going to realize, wow, true life is not found in the accumulation of wealth or in the, the accumulation of possessions. But true life, true satisfying life is only found in complete surrender to Jesus Christ, including my tithes and my offerings. And pretty soon you'll be overflowing with, the, with this heart of generosity. Others of you, maybe you're here today saying, I really feel the need to begin to engage the biblical community. And as you do that very disciplined thing, taking up an hour or two out of your every single week. It's hard. It requires sacrifice. But as you make that commitment, again, you're yielding yourself to God and a supernatural thing is going to happen when your brothers and sisters in Christ begin speaking truth into your life. And as you begin engaging with the scriptures, not only will you be challenged by others, but you will be able to challenge them. Again, the supernatural thing happens when we offer ourselves to God. And still others, maybe you're sitting in the pew today and saying, I have been sitting here my entire life. I have all the biblical knowledge. It's time that I begin discipling someone else. And again, as you make that commitment and that disciplined decision, I'm going to be a disciple maker, you're going to be surprised because God is actually going to be transforming you. And so, as we conclude this message today, know that Jesus Christ is offering you that same three-word invitation. Come, follow me. And it is our heart prayer out here, Orchard Hill Church, that you would join the journey, the all-in journey, following Jesus down the path of discipleship. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. God, we know that Following you as a disciple, it costs us literally everything. It costs us our life. It costs time. It costs energy. But God, the good news is your way to life. And today, God, we're reminded that when we lay our lives down, that is when we find true, true satisfaction, true joy. And so, Father, I pray through the power of your Spirit that you would convict us as your people. That you would transform this group of people. So, discipleship problem going on in the world would not be true of us here at Orchard Hill. 
God, would you transform us? Would you change us? Would you deepen our love for you? God, we want to give you our everything because you are our everything. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And together we say, amen. So church, as we have this final song today, I want to invite you to reflect. How is God calling you to respond? Look at your membership covenant. Prayerfully consider what is God calling you to do. After you've done that, feel free to join us in worship as we are just singing about following Jesus, surrendering everything to our Savior. Uh, so please worship however you want to worship. Stay seated and reflect. Stand and praise God. Do whatever you need to do. But let us be a people who are all in today. Thank you.